it's time to know about your favorite shows, but maybe not your favorites. So grab your drink and give your glass a clink to Broadway in-depth look at some of the atrocities that have come to the Broadway stage. As you're listening, we will enjoy a signature cocktail and the theme of the show each week. These drinks are created by none other than Marianne. Yay! Yay! The most functioning alcoholic that I know. Amen. Amen. (laughs) I'll drink to that. Oh, Mm. R.I.P. Broadway in general. So let us introduce ourselves. (laughs) So basically, we are your hosts. I'm Rita. I'm Marianne. And we're so excited to be doing this. Yes. Um, We love musical theater. We do. We love cult classics. And we love each other. Oh. Mm. I love where you're going with that. (laughs) Speaking of loving each other, we decided that since it's our first episode, we wanted to give a little introduction um, as to who we are. But we didn't want to be boring and normal, so we decided to give some fun facts about each other. So, Mary, do you want to give the first one about me? Sure. Rita. Ooh, I'm so excited for this. <laughs> what <laughs> is she going to say? Oh. Rita has a wonderful puppy <gasps> named Rona. <laughs> That's the best and only fact you need to know about me. <laughs> You can follow her on her Insta, mm. at Miss Rona Corona. Yes, you heard that right. And yes, she has costume changes. All the time. If you follow her at Miss Rona Corona, you'll see some of those costume changes. But if you follow Stage Boxes on TikTok and Instagram, um, you will see her in many different costumes this Halloween season. Actually, the TikTok should be posted by now. Um, the final TikTok, and we did a series of costumes, like theater-inspired costumes for Halloween. The final, uh, we love that. The final chapter is costumes to do with your pet. It's a wild ride. You're going to love it. Rona is in it. Of course she is. She has to be. She's the star. She's in it to win it. In it to win it. She's my star. All right. Do you have anything more to say about the first fact? you want me to go into my no, first I fact? No, I feel like you said quite a deal. I can't help myself. I'm a Leo. <laughs> All right, let's do first facts about Mary Marianne has a tattoo of stars and moon that you'll probably never see. True. And if you get the reference, um, it's a musical theater reference. Maybe Jason Robert Brown will write a musical about you. That would be my dream. And I was going to say maybe he wouldn't cheat on his wife, but that already happened. <laughs> Got him. Yeah, my tattoo uh, has the initials of my grandmother, my mother, and my dad, because they're all dead. Womp womp. You know, the whole being dead thing. Fun fact about me. (laughs) (laughs) All my friends are dead. Push me to the edge. All right, you want to? Sure. Okay. Uh, Miss Rita was a cast member at Disney. Whoop whoop. She was a skipper on the (laughs) junk. No. I'm offended. She was I'm a, a offended. safari driver at Kilimanjaro. That's correct. Safari. That's correct. You Skippers? Didn't do jungle, no, your favorite. What your favorite ride is Jungle Cruise? No, my favorite ride is Jungle Cruise. <laughs> Skippers have to tour with fake animals, and safari drivers get to stare at real animals all day long. It's an inc- much better job than. Not driving a boat. We actually drove the trucks. It wasn't on a track. Yeah. It's still not on a track. And how many times in your life could you say you had to watch elephants bathe in a pool of water and just, like, play and have fun? And poop on the ground. Yeah. Um, so I much poop. <laughs> it's a Disney classic. <laughs> I'll always go on it. I love during Christmas time when they change it to the Jingle Cruise. That's my favorite. I think it is the cutest thing. Yeah. But, you know, I loved Disney, and mm-hmm. it was an awesome time. I did the college program, 
2015. Yeah. It was a great experience and it was fun and it was the most theater related thing I could have done that wasn't performing because, you know. It sounded like your tongue got too big for your body in that moment. That happens to me a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So Marianne has no middle name and she's named after her mother. Who's that? Who's dead. And is the youngest and the most fabulous of five children. All of that is true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there were way too many of us. Remember that time when people had a lot of kids? No. I'm right. an only child. <laughs> <laughs> no, but to- totally. Like, yeah. at some point, like, my grandparents, I think they had, like, 12 siblings. Yeah. Like, that's 12 times you're giving birth. That's, that's like, you're... You're pregnant for almost your entire life. That's awful. I hate everything about that. Yeah, no. Yeah. I. And the difference between me and my closest sibling is seven years. So I was definitely an accident. All right. (laughs) You want to go to your third fact? Yes, I would. All right. Rita's favorite musical is Bright Star. The truest statement you'll ever hear. She was lucky enough to play the part of young Alice with the Riverhead Faculty Community Theater, which was way too far away to travel to go see a show, but I love her, so I went. Listen, we live five minutes apart, and it was just as far for me to go out there and rehearse, and that was happening all the time. Yeah, but you were actually in the show. Yeah, that's true. But I only had to go once. But you you got to experience me squirrel my face off while giving away my child. Yeah. You are not giving away your babe. Oh. But you did. Were those that came out the same the same year? Hamilton and Bright Star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hamilton swept, which makes sense. All right, number three for Marianne. One time, Marianne and I were at a bar, and this trashed man <laughs> <laughs> he came up and sat with us, and um, to try to get him to leave, Marianne pretended that she had a phone call. And she answered her phone, and you can't see my fingers in the quotation marks, because her phone was her fingers, you know, like how you make the phone with your thumb and your pinky finger? Well, that's what she did, and she had a whole conversation with this person over her hand phone, and the guy that decided to interrupt our wonderful evening at the bar, he really thought she was on the phone, and like, like genuine. He was so drunk, it was so genuine. He kept saying, like, who was she talking to? Who was she even speaking with? And he tried to even talk over her on her so-called phone because he was like, yeah, she kept, oh, hold on, hold on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I got to talk to this guy. And then she left me at said table with the drunk man (laughs) to pee. So really, it was a 10 out of 10 adventure. Yeah, that was um, St. Patrick's Day. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, so that's some fun facts about me and Marianne. Maybe we'll continue to do this. Maybe not. It's kind of funny. We are. Our facts were real different. Yeah. I liked that about it. Yeah. Should we uh, get into the Um, drink portion of the show? Yes. So this week's drink is the carry. Ooh. And Marianne, what's in the carry? It is a large shot or two, if you prefer, a fireball. Because. Fireball. Fire. Fireball. Um, a shot or two of red wine because the blood of Christ. Um, can, well, I'm doing Canada Dry right now, no pl- product placement, but uh, <laughs> ginger ale. And then on top, you got to put some grenadine for the pig's blood, caro syrup. Oh, nice yeah. little touch. Yeah. It's delicious. And so every single week on the show, we are going to have. A themed drink that goes along with the flopped musical that we are talking about. Um, And you can find the ingredients and the drink recipe on our Instagram. Um, It should be on the post that will be posted talking about the podcast for the week. So make sure you go check us out on Instagram at Broadway Broadway Blackout. Blackout. It's going to be a good time. You don't want to miss it. Rita, I'm always... I'm almost done with my first drink already. That, that's so typical of you, and I have, like, had four sips. I know. So let me catch up. Give me a moment. Go ahead. Um, if you haven't noticed, this week our inaugural podcast <laughs> will pay tribute to one of the most, if not the most infamous flop of the 20th century, the musical adaptation of Stephen King's 1974 novel, Carrie. Carrie. 
Marion says it with a frown on her face, and I am smiling from ear to ear. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot that goes along with this musical. There is so much that goes along with the musical, but I think it's delicious. Yeah. I, I think my drink is delicious. <laughs> I have loved Carrie since, like, 2012. Yeah, that's the revival, man. Yeah. Well, it... Yeah, it was, like, after the revival, I guess. So, maybe a little later, like, 2013. <laughs> I, okay. Uh, yeah, oh, I found out about it from a friend in college uh-huh. who, it was, like, my first semester as uh, an acting major, and he was like, you would do incredible in the title role of Carrie. And I was like, I don't know the show, but I love to hear that I'd be great at parts, so tell me more. And he, every actor's dream literally. is to have somebody go... <clears throat> You are amazing. You should play this part. And he was my duet partner. I, we were doing hair. We both sang What a Piece of Work is Man. So I was like, oh, you really know what I sound like. You hear me in rehearsals. Like, you hear me raw. Let's, like, this is exciting. <laughs> um, and he gave me his CD. And I liked it so much, I would just listen to it. Because I had, like, a 40-minute ride to college. I know, CD. CD. I know. I had a, And I had a 40-minute ride back and forth. Uh-huh. So I would just listen to the CD over and over. 40 minutes yeah. there, 40 minutes back. And I would... And it was to the point where I had it for months, and he was like, I want my CD back. And he is like a stan of Carrie. Like, shout out to you, Connor. You're probably not listening to this. But he was obsessed with Carrie. Yeah. And he just made me a copy of the CD because he was like, you're never going to give me mine back. So here's a copy so I can have mine back. Yeah. Remember and- when there were CDs and we used to sit and listen to CDs of Broadway shows until we memorized everything? Oh, yeah. And my... My favorite thing to do as a kid was get those CDs that were, like, the best hits of the musicals. And, like, it was just different musical after different musical. And you, I would just sit in my living room and just perform the whole entire CD. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The first two musicals I ever memorized were Phantom of the Opera and Les Miserables. Ooh. <laughs> what a mix of choices. I mean, you you well, seem to like dramatic. <laughs> no. I'm an 80s baby. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Carrie the Musical's the original was definitely a product of the eighties. Oh my god! All right. <laughs> so a flop is any production that failed to recoup its initial investment during its Broadway run, even if only shy by five or ten percent of the capitalization. Yeah. So either they put out too much money mm-hmm. and everybody hated it, or. Just nobody went to go see it. Yeah. Right, and like, the hardest yeah. part is getting butts in seats. Yeah, yeah. And it's so hard to do that when your show is like not necessarily a spectacle. Because uh-huh. everything on Broadway is a spectacle at, at yeah. some point or another. Well, and I think that that has really changed in the 1990s through the 20th century with the advent of um, the intranet, as it were, mm-hmm. and have, like, concept albums going out. But because before that, it was like you went to the show, and especially if you went to a preview, you had no idea what you were going into. Right. You only knew the people that were writing it, and if the people were good, you were just assuming it was a good show. Right, and if you were lucky enough to see it after it's been re- reviewed, at least you have, like, an idea, like a synopsis of what the show is about. But right. Like, you're going in there blind. Yeah, like, nowadays, I tell... I'm a high school teacher. I tell my students all the time how lucky they are to have the resources that they do. Any of my, you know, early 90s, 80s babies, pre-80s babies, like, you had no idea. You go buy the CD Mm -hmm. and sit and listen to it after the show had come out. Like, we had, nobody had any idea. No. And even then, like, you would think that the lines that they said on the CD were right. And they weren't. They were <laughs> it was different. You would sit down and be like, "Oh, this line is coming up." Hey, da, da. oh. Or and like, you were did wrong. you did you have a cast recording that was like the original like London recording and not the original Broadway cast? So you're going in there and you're like, "I know this," and it's like completely revised. Completely you're like, revised. You're "Like who? That? Where's that? Where's my favorite song from Act Two? Right, it's not here." And like, I'm an early to mid '90s baby, mm-hmm. so I definitely had the internet on my side. I feel like I grew up with the internet, like, literally. Like, the internet just kept changing as I kept growing. Yeah, yeah. Like, I remember the first camera phone. 
wild. We're not talking about that. But, but I remember when like Spring Awakening came out, I, my parents wouldn't buy me the CD yet because they were like, how do we even know you're going to like this? And CDs were expensive. Like they weren't cheap as she fills her glass for more. Um, and I remember just sitting on the Spring Awakening website because we didn't have Spotify. We barely had YouTube. Yeah. And I remember just sitting there and just playing the demos that they posted on their website yeah. over and over and over. Yeah. So it was like the same minute and a half of each song, or like four or five songs from the show. Yeah. But it was so worth it. I mean, you have to think about like shows like any Frank Wildhorn show, period. Hmm. Um, uh, next to normal. Like what mm-hmm. a big campaign those shows did in order to garner the audience that they had because... Of all of their social media and, and internet stuff. So, yeah, just sitting and these people had no idea what this show was going to be. But also, on the flippity-flop side, um, if you're ever interested in seeing the musical Carrie, you can go on YouTube and search uh, Carrie Stratford 1988, and that is the original... Uh, original staged production of it in Stratford. In Stra- oh, duh. It's a Royal Shakespeare company. Yeah. Um, and then you can also find, like, they have videos of the revival. Um, but that's... Watch the Stratford one. Oh, you have... I mean, you have to... But what I liked about watching the Stratford one and then watching the revival, which I've seen the revival a million times, what I liked about it was I saw the changes that they made. It was yeah. just so clear. Yeah. Like... Oh, that makes sense why they kept that. Or I'm so glad they took that song out and added this song in instead. Or I love they took a piece of this song and made it the entire song. Yeah. Made it better. So that was kind of cool to watch. Yeah. But then you can also see a production of it with Alice Ripley. What a lady. That woman. Twist. Twist. Do the peppermint. Twist. 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 Seattle. Ah. Seattle. And they took video of it for the Lincoln Center Memorial, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that they could um, have it in the archives, Mm -hmm. which is great. And I mean, it's awesome. Like, YouTube is such a great tool because it's essentially just an archive anyways. And although we shouldn't promote illegal bootlegs, God, they're so good. Yeah. They've gotten me through quarantine personally. (laughs) But also, um, you could go... To the Lincoln Center Library. Yeah. If you live in New York or you're coming to visit. Yeah. Well, I don't know right now if they're open. But in, oh, yeah, in general, yeah. You could go there. And I, I've done this myself as a teacher. I, I could get in. I don't know if everybody could get in for free. But you do have to make an appointment. But you can go there and tell them that you want to view a musical. Any musical. Mm-hmm. And you can go and sit and research and... And watch anything because they archive, you know, these shows now. Yeah, we went in high school um, when we did the Diary of Anne Frank to watch the Diary of Anne Frank. Uh-huh. And I'm pretty sure they told us it costs like a dollar to get a library card so that you can go and do and do that. So I think, I mean, that was in 2012, but. Yeah, you need a public access card now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I went there one year when my musical director and I had a. <clears throat> A hard time deciphering what show we wanted to do. Oh, that that's a great idea. And I wanted to do Oklahoma. <laughs> Why? Shut your dirty mouth. <laughs> and he wanted to do The Wiz. All right. Your face says it all. Yeah. So I had to go and show him what The Wiz actually was. What Correct. a wonderful Wiz it was. Uh, because <laughs> he didn't believe me that it was not the best choice for this is not appropriate for the actors you've had at hand. For the actors I have, yeah, yeah. yeah. So should we talk back about Carrie? Yeah. I just, I, lo- I happen to love the music. I think it's fun. I think it's a bop. Um, so it's based on yeah. the 1974 Stephen King novel yes. of the same name, which was also uh, made into a movie. It was set in the small New England town of Chamberlain, Maine, uh, which, fun fact, 11 of Stephen King's books were set in Maine. He just likes writing about me. It focuses on an awkward <laughs> teenage girl with te- a girl with telekinetic powers, Carrie White, and they call her Scary White. Carrie, uh, by the way, is a pet name for Caroline or Carolyn. In old German, it means free man. Except in the show, her mother calls her Carrietta. Margaret's a little. That's probably uh, bad, but nutty. she's a little nut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
All she wants to do is fit in at school and instead is bullied by her peers. Uh, and her life is overpowered by a fanatically, yes, religious mother. <laughs> uh, we've seen this before in um, shows like Hairspray with Prudence Pinkelstein, mm. in Fiddler with Goldie, uh, Overbearing Mothers. We have that in Gypsy, in Great <laughs> Gardens, Next to Normal, Into the Woods, Light in the Piazza, Hairspray. It goes on and on. Uh, when she's humiliated at prom, she unleashes chaos on her classmates. Um, and I was trying to look up other shows that actually touched on proms, and there aren't many that shows that involve or have a scene of the prom. So um, there's actually a musical called The Prom. Yeah, and it's like a movie coming out on Netflix, like really soon. Yes, but. <laughs> Just saying. Also, no, but I know what you're saying. Yeah. West Side Story. Don't you roll your eyes at Footloose. Okay. That is a fun show. Boring, but okay. No, 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 no. West Side Story has a dance at the gym. Which is like similar to the prom, I guess. Yeah. As close as you can get. And then Grease had the hand jive scene at the gym. And there's a zombie prom musical. That's all you know. I, that's all I know about okay. it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Did how did most likely to have a prom scene? No. Okay, good. Surprisingly. That's okay. If you haven't, make sure you stream most likely to by Michael Tester. Um, you'll regret it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so Carrie was written. Mm -hmm. uh, music by Michael Gore, younger yeah. brother of Leslie Gore. But he was also famous for fame at the time. Yes. He wrote the theme for Terms of Endearment. Mm -hmm. uh, he had, he had you know, garnered his Oscar. Uh, Oscar. No relation to Al Gore. No. No, no, no. no. Uh, lyrics were by Dean Pitchford, who had already kind of made his name in theater. In 1971, he was in Godspell in New York City and at the Ford Theater in D.C. Good for him. In 75, Fosse casted him in Pippin. Booked and blessed. Uh, he's written song. He had written lyrics for uh, Peter Allen, Dolly Parton, Melissa Manchester, <laughs> Cher, Martina McBride, Whitney Houston. He wrote Footloose. Uh, oh, well, there you he go. worked on Footloose yeah. for years. But he didn't write half those songs. Um he also wrote uh, Streets of Gold for Oliver and Company in 1988. The last part of that team, the book was by Lawrence D. Cohen, who wrote the OG screenplay for the movie. Uh, he also wrote the screenplay for It and the Tommyknockers, and segments of the TV show Nightmares and Dreamscapes, all of which were uh, Stephen King things. And then Gordon Pitchford in 1981 won the Oscar for the song Fame. Yeah, it opened at the Virginia Theater May 12th of 1988. Um, the musical was directed by Terry Hands and choreographed by Debbie Allen, which everybody knew Debbie Allen at the time. Yeah, yeah. She, uh, what did she do? She choreographed something with teenagers. Oh, man, I can't think about it. And it was that same kind of like frenetic teen choreography energy. Mm -hmm. So they had her come in and do Carrie. I forgot what it was. But it opened in Broadway in 1988, like I said, and it closed after just 16 previews and five performances. I could not imagine being like, I'm going to make my Broadway debut and then closing after five fame. shows. She, she worked on Duh, that. she yeah. choreographed Fame. I'm like, what yep. teen show has a lot of energy? Fame. And was she in, wasn't she in the show? Probably. Yeah. I got off the Wikipedia page. Oh, I'm pretty sure she was in it, too. I, I could be wrong. Okay. So let, let's talk about the origins of Carrie. Cohen, Lawrence Cohen, stated that his impetus for creating Carrie was the opera Lulu mm -hmm. by Alban Berg. So the story is a downward spiral of a woman from a well-kept mistress in Vienna to a street hooker in London. Mm. I feel like that's a story of a lot of people I know. <laughs> okay. Uh, so they went... <laughs> I'm a nerd, everybody. I just want everyone to know what a nerd I am. First of all, I don't even like Barry. He's a sec second Viennese school with Webern and 
Schoenberg, and I hate all of those guys. It sounds like somebody took a cat and slammed it on the piano, and that's the music that came out of it. And then someone was like, oh my god, his work is so good, I need to write. Who 12 tones? <laughs> Nobody 12 tones. Get out of here. Anyway, Cohen and Gore went to go see it at the Met, and they left thinking, if Albon Berg was alive today, and by the way, who, who's like, oh, I, I wish Albon Berg was alive today. <laughs> Nobody. I mean, because then you'd have cat slapping piano music. If Berg was alive, I'm sorry. Today. I'm sorry. We already have that. Thank Andrew Lloyd Webber. <laughs> Different kind of cat slapping. <laughs> so they had this like kind of out of the box radical thought, and they're like, "Okay." So Cohen said, "What Carrie had was highly intensified, highly heightened operatic moments." And he said, I like that kind of theater. I really respond to that intensity of performance. Carrie was very weird material to choose to musicalize. You think so? Until we thought about it, and it didn't seem weird to us at the time at all. Well, Mr. Cohen, I hope it seems like a weird concept now. I don't know, though. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely a weird concept. But if you look at kind of the way musical theater has gone... I don't disagree with you, but when you think of the other shows that were in the 1980s, the 1980s were mega music. Yes, yes. And I think that's where... And And, like, that's where Carrie went so wrong. Yeah. It was trying to be a mega musical where it was a show that should have been off-Broadway. Yeah. Which makes sense why they were like, oh, revival, off-Broadway. The creative team wrote Fame. They wrote Footloose. They knew... I'll get into that. Yeah, I just yeah. feel like it's not unusual for like a screenwriter to go in and, and write a play. Yeah. But for a screenwriter who already wrote the movie screen, I don't know. It just feels like it should be such familiar content for them. Mm-hmm. And they were like, Carrie, let's give it a facelift. <laughs> let's wake it up a little yeah, bit. Yeah, let's change it. So in 1984, they had their first uh, workshop. In New York City, mm-hmm. Andy Golden was Carrie. Maureen McGovern was Mrs. White. Do you remember when we saw Maureen McGovern at Town Hall in Into the Woods? Oh, my God. <laughs> that production of Into the Woods. What a trip with Alice Ripley! And she missed her cues. She fell! <laughs> she Alice Ripley fell, fell on stage. And then she talked was, about she it. She was fine about She was She was okay. That's why yeah. we're laughing about it. It was it was a wild production. Maureen McGovern at one point, the conductor had to lean down and be like, "We're here. This is where we are in the <laughs> script that you're holding." It was a beautiful catastrophe. I don't know. I grew up Into the Woods was probably like the eighth show that I memorized. Uh, a very specific number. Well, it came out in '88, which was around the same time that. Mm-hmm. came out, but, but it just wasn't. Carrie came out. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it just... It, 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 it took me a while to get there. Yeah. But I could recite every word from that show. Because I feel like any theater person knows Sondheim. No, absolutely. If you don't, then you're wrong. Then you're not a theater person. Right, then you need to become educated on Stephen Sondheim. Yes, get, get your life together yes. if you don't know Sondheim. And if, like, I've never never heard one person say they don't like Into the Woods. Yeah. Ever. I don't that think I've ever. That was most commercial thing. Yeah. yeah. I, rightfully For so. For good reason. Yeah, I mean, that shit was incredible. Yeah. But. Um, okay, so sorry. Uh, you're fine. <laughs> they couldn't get... So, the workshop was act one of the show, and it was very... Grounded. It was very much based in realism. It was very close to the atmosphere of the book. And they said, okay, we're going to put this up on Broadway, but we need to get funding. And they could not find money anywhere to raise to do the show. So uh, in 1987, a German producer, Friedrich uh, Kurtz, who also did (laughs) Cats, and Starlight <laughs> Express to <laughs> um, put up the money for it. But he said, 
We have to do it with the Royal Shakespeare Company. Uh, yeah, Royal yeah. Shakespeare Company in Stratford-upon-Avon. So that's how that happened. <laughs> so they moved it to Stratford-upon-Avon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the artistic director of the RSC was Terry Hands. <laughs> so they went into this meeting to talk to Terry Hands about doing this musical. And Terry Hands uh, said, what do you want this music, what do you envision in this musical? And Pitchford and Gore said, like, Grease. Grease, lightning, go, Grease, lightning. And he thought they meant... Grease. Gr- like... Like... Ancient Grease. He was thinking, like, oh, not like teen angst. He was right. like, let's do Lysistrata. Let's put <laughs> Let's put people in togas mm-hmm. in the opening gymnasium number. And he did. He did. He did. And I, mean, I think that if they went in the direction of, like, Grease, Grease, Lightning Grease, yeah. it could have been better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. And uh, the other thing about Terry Hands was that he loved a lot. He was originally a lighting designer. So once the show started going up and the creative team, uh, according to Cohen, mm-hmm. when the creative team came back, and they saw a show with teens in togas doing calisthenics. You mean adults playing teens in togas yeah, yeah. and not like adults in their 20s, like adults in their 30s. And like showers on hydraulic lifts. What? And they turned around to say something to Terry Hands. Terry Hands at that point was like, I'm doing tech. And he had his headset on and he was like, that was it. He was done. He didn't want to talk to them. He also... Um, claimed quite a few times. He's like, I've never done a musical before. I had no idea what he was doing. But he actually, the Royal Shakespeare Company, just three years before, had just produced Les Mis. Which is like one of the biggest musicals ever. Ever. And he, Terry Hands, had directed um, a London, uh, a West End show, but it started at the Royal Shakespeare Company, called Poppy. And it went on to much acclaim. Even Barbara Cook, who played in that in the Stratford upon Avon production, played Margaret, has gone on record as saying Terry Hands did not fix anything that should have been fixed in this production. Like he didn't and, do his job, right? And uh, uh, sorry, look, Terry. Who knows? Who knows what actually happened? Yeah. But uh, enough people are blaming him that it's like, okay. Well, and, like, I don't know. What's wild to me is they were like, all right, let's make it Greek, Mm -hmm. but let's make it 1980s Greek. Yeah. And their togas were, like, crop tops and short shorts that were high-waisted. Yeah. Like. They wore body sleeves. Yeah. What were those? The red and the the pink. Oh, my God. I was, like, watching that entire number. I was like. What's the purpose? And the pig blood scene where, that, he's where they're singing and he's just wearing leather pants and he smears blood on his chest. And they're singing an entire song about let's kill a pig. Let's do it. Like, hmm. There's a lot that went wrong. So we, we've been, uh, they had pyrotechnics. They had lasers. They had a gigantic white staircase at the end like of the what? show. Um, there were a lot of script and technical problems. They couldn't, every time they doused Carrie with blood, at the end of her show, the her mic would stop working because you can't get mics wet, people. Duh. The one of the set pieces almost decapitated Barbara Cook on the very first production, and she was like, "I'm tapping out, guys." But also, like, I'm done. I feel like simple is better in so many instances, yeah. in so many situations. But the set itself wasn't even like. Mega. It was a white box. Right, but it was just all the moving parts. Right. Even Carrie's, like, room or Mm. the white residence was a chair and a trap door. What? What? Okay. All right. You ain't seen And the best part was, when they went to move it, they called in Harold Wheeler, who was the first black conductor. He did Promises, Promises in the 1960s. Great show. The exact... uh, year right now because I'm uh, just about to be three drinks in and Harold Wheeler they hired Howard Harold Wheeler to do the orchestrations 
That's what was, that's what you think was wrong? The orchestration? Right, out of everything. You hide what? Okay. Well, and like part of me is like, maybe they had a glimpse of hope when transferring to Broadway because they were like, We have Betty Buckley. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is a star. Yeah. She's going to make the show. And I'm sure she was like yeah, but she was already in the show in Stratford-upon-Avon. Right, but then when they transferred to Broadway, having that name. Yeah, but Barbara Cook was like, Right, she was like, peace out. Right. Barbara Cook was like, good Goodbye. luck, Betty. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the dagger. Nice. Your turn. Find somebody to replace me. And they were like, okay, we'll try. <laughs> it was only a three-week engagement at Stratford-upon-Avon. Right. But they were like, yeah, we'll try and find somebody to come in and do two two weeks in like Seven days. Okay. Yeah. Well. Yikes. But also, I really liked um, that they cast Lindsay Hately um, as yeah. Carrie White because she was like 17 or 19. Mm-hmm. So that was definitely, that was cool. It was more realistic. Yeah. A young girl of high school age. Yeah. I wish that they had done that with the entire ensemble or at least, you know, like early 20s, kind of what the revival did or what most shows do when they have yeah. high school students. <laughs> Well, and Betty Buckley was in the 76 movie. She played Miss Collins. Right, So she right. had, like, a, a strong connection with the show in general. Which, Miss Collins, that changed to, like, Mrs. Desjardins. Yeah. That was my fourth grade teacher's name. Fun fact. And she brought such, like, a, a steeliness. Yeah. And an intensity that, like, operatic Barbara Cook, and we love Barbara Cook. We do. But operatic Barbara Cook doesn't necessarily bring to that role. You know, it, it's just, it, it was odd how... i make you another drink. Thank you. It was odd mm-hmm. how they were like, let's make everything pop 80s. Except... And then have every Margaret White song be operatic, which I appreciate in the sense of, like, stylizing to the character, but the show lacks character development. Yeah. So you're doing something that's going to help push forward a character, help the audience understand and sympathize with the character when they can't because everything is just thrown together. Yeah, yeah. And you don't was, you don't sympathize for Carrie. And the show itself was very disjunct between, like, we are teen Grecians and then, like, we are teens in leather. And then, yeah. we are mother and daughter. Which, like, okay, well, which I could argue what that... What kind of show are you? I could argue that Margaret and Carrie's songs in the original, were probably the better of the songs. Absolutely. They were the best part. Yeah. Which makes sense why they stayed in In transferring into into the the revival. Yeah. Because it it just makes sense. Yeah. And if you go on YouTube, there is a video um, of the original and Eve Was Weak going against the revival of And Eve Was Weak, and it's really cool to just see the little differences they made and just hear the difference between a song sung in 1988 and a song sung in 2012. We'll get to that in, in a little. Okay. What a wonderful woman. Um, okay, so we, we transferred to Broadway in 1988. Mm-hmm. The show cost $8 million. In today's <laughs> money, that would be just under $18 million. Wild. It opened on April 28th. Yeah. April 28th, which was a Thursday. Um, well, that was the first preview. Yes, the yeah. first preview. The first of 16 previews. And it was met with awe of all different kinds. <laughs> um, a little bit of laughter, especially in the finale scene. But Betty Buckley and Haley... What's her name? Lindsay Haley. Lindsay Haley. Uh, Lindsay Heatley. Heatley, sorry. Heatley. Received thunderous standing ovations. All the time. Yeah. Watching videos of their performances, you see why. Yeah. I mean, it made sense why they were cast into starring roles in the show. Yeah, yeah. And it made, just the ensemble and the rest of the characters were just so lackluster. I think, just going back, it just, it lacked character development. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It lacked, uh, I mean, a lot, but it lacked zeroing in on the important moments that... Mm -hmm. That should have been important, and they didn't make them important. Well, like, they were all mean girls. Like, yeah. there was no difference between Chris and the rest of the ensemble girls. And, like, yeah. I wanted to see Chris mean. Yeah. Like, she is the leader of the pack. Yeah. She needs to be the most vicious, the you most Regina George. Yeah. I feel like the entire show was the villain. Yeah, but also, the mother is the villain, but it's not the... Like, Terry Hans is the villain. 
<laughs> it was just very confusing. Yeah. People were very, especially if you had not seen the movie, if you mm-hmm. did not know what Carrie was about, if you were not a Stephen King fan and you were just a theater person going to the show where at the end of this the, the shower scene when, when Carrie blows out the light bulb, you have no idea why that light bulb blew up. Right, because they, they no don't explain it. Why her hands are on fire at the end of Act One? You don't know what the hell is going on. Right, because it wasn't clear that she has these telekinetic powers. Right, and that's what you kind of get away with in a movie, especially if the movie mm. is going to be um, based on a novel. People are going to go see the movie because they know the novel mm-hmm. nine times out of ten. I do that all the time. By the way, Dark Tower. Terrible movie based on Stephen King. Stephen King. Stephen. If you ever listen to this podcast. In your home in Maine. In in Maine. Please make it into a mini-series. Ooh. Please. That movie did not do your book series Wait, so Stephen King went to see Carrie. Okay. And he liked it. (sighs) He liked it. And so many other people did. The house people didn't like it. They, it was sold out every night. It did. Every single night, every sixteen preview, and every five whole performance they had, <laughs> it was sold out. Yeah, the the audience so. loved it. People which, went to it three times. But personally, I think they were probably going because they were like, "I don't, I don't know why I like this show. I have no idea what's going on." But I, I'm going to go back. I mean, it became a cult classic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People would not let it die. Yeah, yeah. But the financial backers pulled out. Right. I mean, it, would, the, it makes the sense. Reviews, the, it, as much as people stood for an ovation for Betty Buckley and... Oh, uh, Lindsay Lee. Thank you. Three and... Um, <laughs> people still booed. Yeah. They booed. Right, off. it was a clear mix of woo and boo. Yeah, they booed as much as I did when I went to go see Spider-Man which prob- off the dark. Yikes, which pro- I saw it twice. Which probably... <laughs> Um, you know, added to the spooky element of it, mm-hmm. having people being like, boo. No, no, it wasn't like, like a ghost. <laughs> Frank Rich in yeah. the New York Times Oof. equated yeah. mm-hmm. the show to the Hindenburg disaster. Yeah. I have the quote. <laughs> you do? <laughs> if chess slides to its final scene as solemnly and pompously as the Titanic, then I Carrie expires with fireworks like the Hindenburg. Mm-hmm. True, the fireworks aren't the greatest. The intended Stephen King pyrotechnics wouldn't frighten the Mai Tai drinkers at the Polynesian restaurant. That was Frank Rich, May 13th, 1988. It's my mom's birthday, May 13th. My mom was born in February on Valentine's Day. Oh. I watched the Stratford. Yeah, yeah. The Stratford version, and the opening number really threw me for a loop. Yeah. Um, Those women were probably in the best shape of their lives. The things Debbie Allen had them do were yeah. insane. The, that girl did a flip like five times in a row. It was so unnecessary. I have a question. Yeah, I, hopefully I have an answer. I need to get in shape. Can we do Carrie? Because <laughs> I need to fit into a wedding dress. It's the newest TikTok trend. It's like, here's the Carrie aerobics going scene to end. Hey, hey, hey. those arms. Like, no, but really, like. Thunder thought. It was. It, 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 Debbie Allen's choreography, she was confused. Yeah. She was like, oh, do it like we're doing acro- uh, acrobatics and we're doing aerobics? Yeah. Yeah, like, it, the entire show was, oh, can I put a dance here? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Like, the choreography didn't go along with the music. It didn't fit the flow. No, no, no. It was athletic. It was like if Michael Kidd had to choreograph Carrie. And That's what happened. Don't get me wrong. Like, they were incredible. They trained yeah. beautiful dancers. Oh, my God. Beautiful dancers. And the whole first number, just being about how you're supposed to be perfect and your body has to be perfect and you have to look perfect Are as a woman. Right Sorry, my dog is barking. Um, <laughs> that's what that notification is. <laughs> Don't forget to give her a follow at Miss Rona Corona on Instagram. Um, it had nothing to do with the actual show itself. It was like, you have to be pretty. You have to be fit. Like, that is mentally going to mess my brain up. Like, sitting in the audience at, like, 15 being like, you need to be perfectly fit. I would, like. <laughs> but also, like, their their concept of teenagerness was so, like, uh, say, uh, smile and say penis. Because that, that's what teenagers say. No, they don't. They curse a lot. Wait, were they ever teenagers before? I mean, seriously. No, it just, it, you're right. It felt very, like. Yeah. 
What can we do to make the audience relate? Yeah. Nothing, because the audience Nothing. didn't relate. Yeah. It just... <sighs> it it missed... Where teen shows like Grease, mm-hmm. West Side Story, even Fame before that, hit the mark right on the head with Bye Bye Birdie. Mm-hmm. All these shows about teenagers were like, oh, this is what teenagers do. And we went, yeah, hell yeah, that's what teenagers do. And then Carrie came and it was like, what teenager is like that? There's no teenager like that. The only thing even close to that was the scene when they're in the cars. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I forget specifically what's, what that scene is. But they're in the different... <laughs> They're like stacked cars oh, with all yeah. the headlights. They're at the drive-in, uh, and, and they're actually speaking. The scene didn't even make sense in the show itself because the scene was so out of character mm-hmm. with the entire rest of the show. But it, it 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 at least gave us a glimpse of what teenager-ish was like. And like I said earlier, a lot of that. Well, first of all, the whole thing about a mega musical. The whole thing about Stephen King's stories are that they are grounded in reality, mm-hmm. even though they have, like, a, a supernatural connotation. But the supernatural connotation is what makes it the horror portion. Right. So you look at stories like um, It, like The Shining. Right. That they're grounded in some kind of reality, and then you get you start to get glimpses of this uh supernatural portion of it but you're already in that grounded state so you can start to accept that something strange is going on but when carrie starts out with a bunch of 40 year old women in togas mm-hmm. doing calisthenics like how do you that's not grounded in reality like how, and it also like and the gym teachers walking around in like high heels that's not real life i i think the other problem that this show had was uh, compared to why the movie was a success and the show was not, where you have these pivotal moments of the book mm-hmm. that translated well into the the movie and highlighted things that they needed to highlight in the movie, but were not in the musical, such as, for example, the whole plug it up scene in the beginning. Um, in the movie, it was like a, a, a five-minute scene. And it is the catalyst of her figuring out her powers. And in the musical, it is a minute. That whole thing with her is a minute. And it's like, no, that is the reason why Mm -hmm. this show is happening. Mm -hmm. And you're not giving it enough gravitas. Same thing with the prom scene. Like, at the end, the prom scene in the movie was like 18 to 20 minutes long. And in the musical, it was five minutes. Yeah. And if you knew the, the movie or the novel going into it, you're like, the prom scene is the pivotal scene mm-hmm. in the musical. The destruction is so important oh my God, to the yeah. show and, and to Carrie's character. And it was so lackluster. Yeah. It was like, here's some lasers and some fireworks, some crackling noises. Let me run on with <laughs> with a bucket of pig's blood and throw it over your head. Oh my it's God. Like, the whole thing was, in the movie, it was so like... Because they had gotten through the time of, like, fixing something up and pulley system and everything. And here, they're like, it's a it's a musical. Here's a bucket. If this were prom, yeah. I would be disappointed. And then, amen. And the, scariest, <laughs> the, the scary portion of the musical, the scary aspect is her t- telekinetic powers. Mm-hmm. And she barely uses them. Yeah. This is, this is the point where people in the audience actually started laughing during the Broadway production because it's like, she, what, what is this? Margaret literally whispers to her like, don't cry, Carrie, after she stabs her. So they opened on a Thursday. They had Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Saturday, Sunday, mm-hmm. and they closed. That's crazy. They didn't even get to do their HOs a week. They came into telecast. Good job, you just opened. We're closing on Sunday. Wild. That's wild. It's wild. Yeah. In August of 2009? Nine. 2009. Yeah. They did a reading yeah. of, of the musical. Um, the and they OG called team. it they called it Revisiting Carrie? Yeah. The OG team yep. rewrote stuff. They revised Right, after having so out. many people being like, please release a version. Please yeah. release a version so we can perform it. The characters were fleshed out more. Yeah. Um, Sutton Foster was Carrie. Mary Maisie. R.I.P. 
yeah. was uh, Margaret White. Um, different director. Mm-hmm. He had done Alter Boys. He had done Ragtime mm-hmm. at the West. He had done Bear. Who was this? I'm sorry. Um, Stratford oh. Arima. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he did Eclipse in Toronto. He's the first Asian Canadian to direct on Broadway. He, he directed Allegiant in 2015, which I'm sure we're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. From a teacher that teaches high school. Doing a teen musical in 2000, it, it, it finally opened off-Broadway in 2012. Mm-hmm. Harry could not take place in 2012 because of the intranet. Because we had this layer of people were recording things and putting it on the internet. And then people were... Yeah, but not like they and, are now. And shaming. But the extent to which she was bullied, things like... The girls throwing tampons at her. That would have been... Oh, yeah. But, the, but, the whole prom thing. Yeah. That would have led to the police coming to the school and arresting people. Well, they couldn't public- arrest them. They all died. So, okay, so basically, the revival began previews yeah. January 31st, 2012, and officially opened March 1st, 2012. It was eventually picked up after doing this revisiting Carrie thing. I love that they kept, they kept Mary Maisie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Love her. She was a dream. Oh. Let's talk about the the POV of mm-hmm. the whole thing, where they they kind of moved it from like a through composed book musical into like this flashback of Sue. Yeah. Oh, so Sue was played by Chrissy Chrissy Altimore, who most people know uh, was Anastasia and Anastasia. In the movie? No, in the musical. Oh. She stayed in from till the very end till they closed. Oh. Um, and what I, what I really love about the fact that Chrissy Altimore played Sue is that Derek Kleina, he, she played, he played Tommy Ross. And yeah. then when Anastasia went to Broadway, he played Anastasia's love interest, St. Petersburg guy. Um, I don't really know <laughs> Anastasia. <laughs> I wish you could have seen that shimmy that she did. Let me tell you what the, my issue with Sue being the narrator. There are scenes where Sue is not in. Right, so how is she narrating that? How is she fucking yeah. narrating that? How is she looking back and telling the police? How is she? How does she know how Carrie feels like in her basement hole? Yeah, like there's no. And I understand the concept because like, <laughs> they're trying to make it make sense of like, which I get, but I almost wish they kept it just like a high school show. Yeah, because I I tr- I love that opening number. I think it's a powerful yeah. opening number. It's a bop. It's a good like ooh we're, ooh we're getting into this. A good vibe. But they wanted to make it. Dark in the vein of the Stephen King novel. Which was nice. those are the parts of the yeah. OG that made sense, and I understand that. And it, it changed from being about, like, being perfect and having the perfect body and looking great for men to being, like, these are the struggles of being a teen. Yeah. This is my teen angst. And you have this emergence of Chris being, like, the ultimate big man mm-hmm. in the show. But the song, which is a great song in the world, according to Chris... Mm-hmm. And who is played by, uh, I don't want to say her name wrong, Jenna DeWall, who is Diana in the Princess Diana musical, which is coming to Netflix very soon, and will be coming to Broadway when it opens. But that one and The Night We'll Never Forget, they had no place in this musical when they kept things like Eve Was Weak and Evening Prayer and that kind of stuff. Like, the music See, was that... still this junk. Yeah. Like, you took time to freaking rewrite a show, and you still made it... See, that didn't bother me as much because I feel like with the character development that they were actually able to have yeah. in the revival, it made sense to the characters. You're not going to have Margaret White singing a pop song. It's yeah. just not happening. Mm-hmm. A contemporary musical theater song, she is going to be that more operatic style. Where So you're saying that the songs embody the characters which they sing. Yes. Much like the most perfect musical comedy. Yeah. Gore said, there are some people who would have been happy if the first two rows of the audience were given slickers and blood got all over them. Some theater companies will do that in the future, I imagine. But they did that before that. I went to go see Evil Dead, but they did that. I I took my then boyfriend, oh God, (laughs) and my sister and... Her, were they just married? They might have been just married. Her uh, husband. And I bought us all tickets to go see Evil Dead. And I bought tickets in the Splash Zone. What? But what year was that? 
I probably went 2004. Okay, okay. It opened in 2003. And we walked in, and they told us not to wear nice clothes, and we got a poncho, and we sat in the first row, and they had blood and gore all over the stage. And it was incredible. Like, yes, people will pay money No, I totally care. And they should have done that. I saw a bunch of, like, other theaters doing it, regional theaters and stuff. I saw one theater did it in the round, and it was like, an immersive theater production of it, and that's really cool. Like, this show is able to be now taken to community theaters and regional theaters and colleges, and they can do things with it. Yeah. Yeah. I think the show can have some really great audition cuts. Yeah. I I will tell you, Eve Was Weak is a favorite in my MTP class, my musical theater performance class. But so, before they revived the Off-Broadway show... The only cast recording available until 2012 was done by a Norwegian middle school. <laughs> That's so crazy. A middle school. Um, I thought the set was pretty cool. Uh, I liked that uh, upstage wall had all like the handles and like that they were able to climb. I felt like in the destruction, it added a different level to it. And again... I understand that they didn't have the pig's blood and, like, that is an integral part of the movie and the novel and it's so important. But I think the revival did what they could with what they had. And at least they cast young adults as the characters over casting, you know, 30-year-olds to play an 18-year-old. It just feels more realistic to have a 21, 22-year-old playing that. So the show starred Maren Maisie as Margaret White, Molly Ranson as Carrie White, Christy Altamore as Sue, Carmen Cusack, the love of my life, my idol, as Lynn Gardner, the teacher, um, Jenna DeWall as Chris, um, Andy Mientes, he was in it as Stokes, so I guess he's one of the ensemble boys that had a character name, and Derek Kalina as Tommy Ross. If you don't know who Andy Mientes is, he is the husband of Michael Arden, who directed Once on This Island and was Quasimodo in The Hunchback of Notre Dame at Paper Mill Playhouse. Um, Andy Mientes was in, I'm pretty sure, the original production of Spring Awakening as well. Um, and then he was in the revival of Spring Awakening um, in the Deaf West version. And he's great. So it was, I was excited when I was looking at the castle. So I didn't even realize he had had been in, in the show. Um, again, I'm going to say it again. I love how Christy and Derek, you know, played love interests in Carrie. And then they graduated to playing love interests in Anastasia, which was definitely a hit and it was not a flop. And then let's just talk about Carmen Cusack for a hot second because that woman deserves the world. She was supposed to be in Broadway coming up this, this past season in... Um, Oh my god, I want to call it Sunset Boulevard, but it's not. Sunset, yeah, yeah. It was, Erica Hensington was in it. It was supposed to be, like, more of a Golden Age type of show. Oh, what is the name? Golden Sunset? I don't, I don't remember. I'll remember it tonight at, like, 4 a.m. when I'm sleeping and wake up in, like, cold sweats. But Carmen Cusack played the gym teacher and sang the most boring song in the show. I skip past it all the time. And people seem to love it. Um, but I, I love me some Carmen. I think she is an incredible talent. I do want to go into one more thing. Okay. So there's a little television show um, on the CW, I'm pretty sure, called Riverdale. Oh, yes. And I happen to be a fan of Riverdale. I watch it. It is so, it's so cheesy, but like so guilty pleasure good. They did carry for a musical number of the show was chapter 31 called A Night to Remember, which is funny because there's the song as in I Will Never Forget. So the writers of Riverdale originally wanted to do Little Shop of Horrors for their big musical episode, but eventually they landed on Carrie because the story better paralleled with Riverdale's students and what they were going through, and it felt like the songwriters had written songs for the same set of characters, which is, it it worked. In the episode, it worked. It was just bad. You took up almost all TV actors, actors who were trained in acting on television which is a different kind of acting right and you're like god sing a musical theater song and it just i I have two feelings about it it gives people a bad taste in their mouth about musical theater yeah yeah but it also opens the eyes of young people to musical theater yes because they have young viewers that, that watch that show they now heard carrie and they're like 
oh, what other musicals? Like, oh, let me listen to the, the cast recording of Carrie. Let me do this and let me listen to this musical. So I like that it opens the eyes to new musical theater fans and viewers, but it just wasn't good. Yeah. It wasn't good. All in all, what were your what were your favorite parts and your least favorite parts, Marianne? I mean, highlights, Betty Buckley. Any scenes with Margaret and... And Carrie. I think all of their scenes besides the one where Carrie gets stabbed and then <laughs> drags herself backwards down uh, a wide staircase. I, I think that the revival did its job. Mm-hmm. And it it gave Carrie a new life. And I think they finally gave it the time and effort that they could have. I don't know if Carrie could be any better than what it is. I think an immersive production of Carrie would be dope. I think that would be really cool, too. So if you're still with us, we hope you've had many of the Carrie drink. Stay tuned for the next month. We'll be dropping them every single Wednesday. You can check us out basically everywhere you listen to podcasts. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Broadway Blackout. You can go check us out on um, stagedoorboxes.com under podcast tab or stagedoorboxes.com backslash podcast um, to find out more information on places to listen, a little bit of about us. You get to see our album art, which we're obsessed with. Um, you get to find all of our recipes uh, for a new drink. Miss Rona Corona. Oh, yeah, find Ms. Rona Corona on Instagram. You won't be disappointed. She's adorable. Yeah. Um, and if we have a list of flopped musicals that we will be going through, and some of ours are planned out based on different events going on throughout the year, but right. if there is... Carrie Halloween. Right, right. If you have um, ideas for specific musicals that you would like to hear from us, drop them in the comments. Well, if you liked what you heard today, we <laughs> hope you damn did. Please like this, um, subscribe. comment, subscribe. Thanks for joining us. Bye. <laughs>